Welcome to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're talking to Kelly Parker, the Mechanical and Electrical Quantity Surveyor and Director at TechCost. Kelly, what are the differences between a standard, you know, architectural quantity surveyor and a more specialized QS like mechanical? My background has always been a mechanical and electrical quantity surveyor. But I come from the UK, so I started life as a contractor's QS. So I work for for contractors doing mechanical and electrical installations. My life changed when I came to Canada, so I'm now cost consultant, um, mechanical and electrical cost consultant. And so I feed into a team. As a QS, I believe our jobs are the same, no matter what your speciality is. We take the information that we have, we leverage what we know from the past to produce an estimated cost for the future, i.e. the tender price. So I work as part of a team and the office is, is quite open. We'll freely talk around each other. So I always understand what's going on with the building because, and if I don't understand, I can ask the question. So I think in basis, being a mechanical quantity fair, it's very similar. It's just the thing that you're measuring is different. As the only MEQS in the company, there's less knowledge within the office, so to bounce back things, and I, I do use engineers for that. Um, so an engineer will produce what the engineer thinks he's going to design, and I will price. And if I'm not sure where I believe his thinking is going, then I will speak to him. I'm not an engineer. You pick up rules of thumb, you pick up an understanding, but I'm not an engineer, so the actual mechanics of it, I don't know. But I do understand how that works within the building. And but we can have conversations with the with the rest of the team as to this is where it's sitting. How will that affect a wall? We're going through walls. It just you're just a, another member of a team with a slightly different speciality. I don't actually consider myself any different to the rest of the team. It's just that what I measure is pipe, not. Brick. In the early stages of design, there's usually a lot less information regarding mechanical. So is it fair to say that there's more assumptions in regards to your work? It's definitely the case. So we will, I will see a plan. It will be an, architect, an architectural plan and I'll, I'll work from a report. It's just a document of words and I will ascertain what is required from those words and put it into a cost estimate. But in reality, it's not a start from scratch thing every time. You you work with the same engineers over and over again on similar types of building. And you then leverage what you've done before and you put it into this new estimate. There is always ventilation. In fact, I'm going to go back and say there are always toilets. There are always wash hand basins. So these things are, and these are, these for me, are a comfort level and they will be shown on an architectural drawing. So I will count them going around the architectural drawing and that then gets me acclimatized with the building, the shape, which is internal, how much of it's internal, because the majority of it's external walls, but what, what is being placed internally. And from that, I can then, I start to build the picture. I will count what, I will measure what I can physically measure. There will be radiation panels. Let, let's say I'm doing a school, so so many toilets. There's radiation panel on the external wall. I can measure that. I know there's usually hose bibs around the external and measure the perimeter. I know how often they put. I can create. So there are things I can create just from a plan, even without looking at the report. So there are certain things that I'll do. I will then go through the report and add in 
what is what is in the report. So I will then go through and obviously it will mention ventilation, but it will just say there's ventilation and the air handling units of this and there's boilers and there's heating and there's pumps and they'll be mentioned. So I tick them off. But I also tend to use a previous job as an aid memoir. So just because they haven't shown a drinking fountain or they haven't shown an expansion tank doesn't mean it's not there. So my job at SD is to take the plan, the words and my previous knowledge and create a full estimate. And I do create a full estimate. I will make an assessment for how many, how many data points there are, how many receptacles there are. And I will make these assessments based, as I say, on a plan, the words and my previous knowledge. And I will create a full estimate. There's, there's obviously definitely assumption in there. I can do rough calcs on the size of how much, how much CFM I believe there is. And I can do all this and I create an estimate. The practice for me, the joy for me is watching that not change much through the process of, of class D, C, B, A. If I'm staying pretty similar, then I've done a good job at the beginning because my job is to tell you what the pretender price is. We expect the pretender price to be. You know, I, I, you look at things and I go to light switches. Light switches are my favourites. I have certain things that I like to use as, as an example. Nobody really draws a light switch until 60 or even pretender. Just because they haven't drawn a light switch, it doesn't mean it isn't, it's not there. So you have to be seeing the whole picture, even if you're only looking. I'm a big fan of Bake Off, whether it's the Canadian Bacon Show or the British Bake Off. And I don't know if any, anyone watches it, but the middle challenge is the technical challenge where they get a paired back recipe. So it will say, make a sponge. That's what I'm dealing with put the mechanical and the electrical in this building. So it's a bit like a technical challenge if you're a Bacon fan. You mentioned that you usually know the designers. How does that positively affect your job? It depends. And it's not necessarily the exact engineer. It's more the, the company because you'll meet, they have a, a style. It's a bit like an architectural style. You know, if you're working with some architect, they like curtain wall. They have a preference for brick. And you're just working towards what you believe their preferences are. And engineers don't tend to, a bit like, stay within that zone of, I'm going, to use, I'm going to do what I know. It doesn't always work. It's a pretty safe starting point at the likes of SD. You, you, you just know some engineers would like to do like multiple little, say, air handling units, although it depends on it. That also depends on what you're building. And others may want to do more of a big one. It's just understanding that. And as I say, we've, I've worked with them, multiple of them, multiple times. And if I'm unsure, I can always go back and see what they've done in the past. But the reality of it is I'll also make a phone call and say, oh, you've done this in the past, but this looks slightly different. Have you got a different way of thinking about it? You know, they are the engineers, they're the designers. So, you know, I want to make sure that I'm pricing what's in the designer's head. And a D or C, it, a lot of it is still in their head. How did changes in technology and in design affect your job? Going back to when I very first started, mechanical and electrical, it was an afterthought. So although the company I work for was building this stuff, you were always an afterthought. Architects like, sorry for your, the architects out there, like to spend the money where it can be seen. Biggest bang for your buck, it looks beautiful. Mechanical stuff is more of a feel. Mechanical and electrical is the feel of a building. 
how someone who's actually living in the building, working in the building, feels that the building, it's so much less tangible. There's no statement piece about it. Over the years, uh, there is more thought going into both systems at design stage. So when I first started, you'd be you'd be shoved, for want of a better word, you'd be shoehorned, I think is probably a better description, into the smallest space because everyone wants to make all the space well. We've now just, no matter what job I'm doing, we've now, we're now in a situation where mechanical and electrical systems are becoming more important. They play a bigger part. People are more aware now that of comfort, lighting comfort, air comfort, and then we move on to data. You look at the need for data these days. The big, I think, isn't the biggest boom at the minute. Data centers, they're coming up, they're, they're coming up everywhere. We want more data, but what that means is we need our buildings to be smarter. We need our buildings to to do things that are that basically we don't want to. We want to just touch a button and it happens. We want to walk into a room. And we don't have to hit a light switch. The same light switch I was talking about before, we don't actually want to hit it. We want to walk into the room and the light comes on. It's as if by magic. So all these things have created the need for more space and more, more thought early doors. So we, as I say, we want, we want smart buildings. I always picture you go into a hotel room 10 years ago. You expected to carry your little block to charge your phone. It was an expectation. Now, you expect that you just need to carry the wire because you'll plug it into a USB socket that's in a receptacle there or it's attached to a light, a light fitting or something so that we just expect more than mechanically. COVID has really put mechanical up front and centre because we now understand that this disease spreads through air and we sit here and we want air to be circulating to feel comfortable. So it's how we deal with the creation of a safer environment that deals with flus, colds, COVID or whatever while we're sitting there. And this this is it's just a really exciting time to be in m &E because it's getting the attention it deserves because of outside influences. Currently, there's an awful lot of work going on in upgrading air handling units, upgrading ventilation systems. It might not be the sexy thing, it's going in a brand new building, but we've got a situation there where we need to protect the people who are in it and we need to look at how our ventilation works in, in um, for that. So I think certainly engineering-wise, it's an exciting time. And as a QS, it follows on that you have to then, you know, you have to be able to price it. So coming back to your question at how looking at the past helps with dealing with the future, there's always a bit of a step change. So it's like you look into, I may have seen a certain type of chiller and now it's a different type of chiller. It works differently. I need to speak to the engineers, see what the work is, go out for more costs. I tend to work off a database and previous knowledge and try not to go out to industry too often. As a QS, I don't buy anything. Everybody's busy. So I like to not interrupt but sometimes I go out, I mean, I, and I will go out if nothing's changing just to, to do a check as these days COVID has, has also changed pricing somewhat. And so it's a case of updating. So it's keeping in touch with industry as things change, but still certain things are still the same. It's, it's following that path, really. There are times and there will always be times where sometimes you're caught out from something that's changed quicker than you could catch up with it. But obviously 
then it's a case of knowing that it's happened, it it can happen, and looking out for the the signs coming forward that you know it's it's possible. Previously, art in a building was budgeted on an approximation based on similar projects or an art budget. With more modern art installations that depend on high technology, how do you budget for that sort of thing? I haven't encountered anything like that per se. So, but I think the way to encounter it is to break it. It's the it still does a function. So, what what does it want to do? So let's just say it's a mo- it's a moving piece of art or the lights change. What does it want to do? What ha- what needs to happen for that to be able to happen? How much power does it need? And work out the fundamentals. But the reality of it is, is that's working out the fundamentals is not my job. That's an engineer's job. And I'm not really a I don't like I'm not a pass the book, but uh, it's it's not what I do. But you can also, from that, work out it moves when people walk past it. It'll need a PIR. You can work out what things need in order for it to happen. But going back to an alien answer, if it was something that was like that, I would be speaking to the engineer. It might even be a case of it's let's sit down and you explain to me how this works, what I need for that, what I need to, because they tend to the art in and of itself wouldn't be in my estimate someone would have put a cash allowance or something for that just need to know what is needed for that to work so it's sort of not it's not really within my realm of expertise but i will talk to anyone about how to price anything how does knowing that a new project will be a smart building affect your approach to the job if we take um build management I assume that's smart these days. I never used to assume that was that was smart. I assume that's that's some form of smart technology these days. So certain things have been around now that unless they say unless the words imply it's not, then I assume. The only times that I not assume that is if it's a very small building. I'm gonna say something like a gatehouse or going into one of the national parks. So the BMS is very simple. It, 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 it's on off switches. It's it, it's very um, analog. The same things like that. Then if we move to, to lighting, lighting has come on in leaps and bounds. So they will tell you what they want. So if it, as you know, if what is happening a lot in residential, residential homes and places like that, the circadian rhythm on the light so that people it's more in tune with the coming up of the sun and it makes people feel better and whatnot and then that will be in the words so if there's anything that's like not in the norm it will be in the words but when when we price for and this is as a team it's not as a as division as a team because we're pricing so early not only is there a greater area for error um, we also allow for a design allowance so if the word isn't there, I may not have implied it because it's something that's so new, but we have a design allowance so that at the next point it can be picked up and the prices or there is an allowance then for these sorts of things. Because as you say, it's, it is all assumptions. So you price everything you know, everything that you can assume. But if it's outside of assumption, there is still money within the, the estimate to cover those things 
for the design to progress. The team gets a copy of our report. So at any point, anyone can read the report and say, oh, that's not quite what we were picturing. Can you add this or can you take that? So even at SD, there is an element of talking through what my assumptions were. And if my assumptions are incorrect based on what's in someone's head, then we can we can revise that at that point. So the whole thing is fluid. It's it, it fluid to allow the understanding that everything isn't there in black and white. And sometimes things aren't there in black and white, but the engineer has envisaged it. He just hasn't written it. So when the report is reviewed, then that gives them the opportunity to say, oh, wasn't there, but I want this. And then we can we we can make allowances at that point. So what's your approach to costing out changing or new technology? I sort of do a multiple prong approach. Google, as dangerous as it, as it is, is also very helpful. So I will learn what I, I need to learn about the system. And then I will speak to the engineer. So having said, I don't like to bother the, the industry too much. Engineers have a great path. And I know I'm a QS and I know I'm a specialist at cost. And the, but engineers have a lot of access to cost. And I will, if it's something completely new, speak to an engineer be, and, be, and be honest with them. This is a new system to me. Any chance you've been out for the cost? Are you speaking to anybody? And then I will ask for an introduction. And then that way, when if I go out to industry, I usually go out with an introduction of an engineer. In that manner, everyone knows that, you know, I'm trying to, I'm working for the good of, of everybody, you know, the clients. As a QS, one of the best things about being a QS is the independence of it. We all have a paymaster. But at the same time, I'm all about value. So I go out and I find out this information and I will look for the best way of finding this information out. If I go to an, if I go straight to a supplier and I ask for a price for something and I'm not buying anything, they, oh, it is a budget figure. But if you go through an engineer who's actually working through the design with this person, because that's usually when it's a system you're unsure of, the engineer is working through this with someone. It's not a standalone thing. There is collaboration there. And then you sort of include yourself in that collaboration, if that makes sense. So that you become part of that little team and you understand what's going on. Okay. And then in the future, you've, you've now got the information. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to keep going back and saying, oh, that changed by five degrees or that changed by. And you don't have to then go in and for every change, ask for a new price. You get a couple and then you, you can you can make make allowances either way. I do, I do use the engineers. It's something that is a bit of a throwback from when I work for contracting company I had engineers around me all the time they were built they were the ones who were actually building it the project managers and the engineers and I used to ask them for a lot of information all the time because I strongly believe that you know you should ask the specialist so I, that's how I deal with stuff that I'm unsure of I ask I don't know everything I'm happy to admit I don't know everything so I ask the specialist and if I can get help in order to give the correct price then I will Help. Well, people don't like to lose the, spe the, the fact that they're the specialist. I keep hearing all the time. I, know this, I keep hearing all the time. You're the specialist at this. You're the specialist at this. But you're the one who's got the information. And it doesn't matter what I estimate something at. It's the tender price at market that matters. And 
you know, there's been a couple of places, there's been a couple of times over my career that you price something and you'll know in your heart it's right. You feel comfortable with the number you've produced. And then for whatever reason, COVID's happening or supply difficulties or it's January and everyone likes to put their prices up in January and the price comes back. It's different. But the reality of it is the price is what the price is at the point of sale, no matter what the estimate is. I like to keep in touch. It's partly why I like to ask questions. I don't want to be so arrogant as to say that cost per CFM is out to lunch. It will not be that. Because the top and bottom of it is, is the suppliers told me that it's going to be that. Could well be that. You have to also take these things with a pinch of salt. So you have to, it's back being a bit of an art. QS is, is in an enviable position of being part science, part art, part crystal ball. And it's how those things all work together and function as a whole that actually makes QS an exciting and allows you to feel like you've done something rather than looking up a number and saying, well, that's the number. So, and I don't, I don't actually feel that's any differently mechanically, architecturally, civilly. It's, you know, it's, it's the joy of being a QS. Best job in the world, most days. Why is now a good time to be a quantity surveyor? Being a quantity surveyor isn't sexy. It's not everyone's ideal of a really great job. Being a services QS is even further down the line than that. But it's such an exciting time for services. As I've, I've touched on throughout, things are changing at an enormous rate. And I know this is an MNEQS thing, but I think I want to dispel the, the thought that um, QS is a dying breed because I am very passionate being a QS. And I think that as quantity surveyors, we are limited purely by our imagination of what we can do. And I th But I think if you mechanical and electrical, it's getting super exciting. And so if you if anyone wants to be an MNEQS, they, they really should look at getting into that because there's not many of us around and services aren't coming out of buildings anytime soon. So as job security goes, it's, um, it's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> Thank you to Kelly Parker for joining us today to talk about mechanical and electrical quantity surveying. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.